The following is a message by Dr. John Fesco from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Let's bow together in a brief word of prayer. Let us pray. Father God, we are grateful that indeed you are faithful, merciful, and kind to us as you have been faithful to your people in ages past. You dwelt in their midst, uh, not only through your uh, glory cloud presence uh, over the tabernacle, but uh, even later when Christ, your son, poured out his Holy Spirit upon the church, which was signified by uh, dancing flames above their heads, O Lord. We rejoice in the fact that we have your indwelling presence through Christ and by the power of your spirit. So in this way, we, we want and ask that you would enable us to rely upon Christ and the grace of your spirit, uh, that we would uh, not only hear the word this morning, but that we would uh, have great fruit that would be as a result of your sanctifying power in and through us by use of your means of grace. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, as you know, I've been uh, doing a small series on the fruit of the Spirit, and so this morning we continue to do that. And so I'll begin uh, this morning by reading uh, Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses 18 through 24. Uh, and uh, this morning's uh, chapel devotion comes to us on the fruit of the Spirit, particularly faithfulness. So let's give attention to the reading of God's Word beginning uh, actually in verse 16. But I say, uh, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, or I warned you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires." May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. When we think about uh, the subject of faithfulness, I hope that above all else, our minds first and foremost come to rest upon God as our faithful covenant Lord. The Old Testament, for example, in the book of Deuteronomy defines Yahweh, defines uh, our God as the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. There is a slightly different uh, key, if you will, when the scriptures talk about faithfulness in terms of human faithfulness. In terms of human beings, the Bible offers a number of different characteristics that defines what it means to be faithful. According to 2 Chronicles 31, verse 18, it means keeping oneself holy. Uh, according to 2 Chronicles 31, 20, it means obediently following God's revealed will. You also see that appearing in the book of Acts. Uh, according to the psalmist, it means remaining steadfast to the Lord. 
According to the book of Proverbs, it means being honest. And then, of course, if you even look at the Gospels, it's in the parable of the wicked servant where Christ defines and describes the obedient and wise servant as one who was faithful to his master. So in a word, I think we can say that what it means to be faithful is it means to be loyal uh, to your holy calling in Christ and to seek conformity to God's revealed will, in other words, his law. But what I'd like to do, at least for the sake of this uh, devotional message, as brief as it is, is I want to propose a looser definition, perhaps we might say an anecdotal definition. And that faithfulness is who you are when nobody is watching. Faithfulness is who you are when nobody is watching and when you are all alone. Who are you when no one is watching? Who are you when you think you are all alone? And so what I want us to do is reflect briefly upon this idea vis-a-vis faithfulness under three headings. First, who are we when no one is watching? Secondly, is asking the question, who do we esteem most in our lives? And then thirdly, seeking greater fidelity and faithfulness to Christ, i.e. faithfulness, this fruit of the Spirit. So first of all, who are we when no one is watching? Uh, We live in an age, I think, where more and more we are incredibly vulnerable to prying eyes than ever before in the history uh, of the, the earth, basically. It used to be that if you wanted to find out what your neighbor was doing, you had to peer over his fence. You had to put a glass up to his door. Uh, you had to do things that, uh, you know, that enabled you to gain access to information that you otherwise would not have to find out what your neighbor was up to when he thought he might be alone. Of course, there's been this recent brouhaha in the press about the National Security Agency and all of their uh, so-called um, you know, snooping and eavesdropping and collecting of data to find out what it is that we are doing when we think no one is watching. But what is interesting, and it's, I've read a couple of books on this uh, recently that have provided me with a lot of grist for the mill, a lot of food for thought, uh, is that what we don't realize is that there's a sense in which we don't need the NSA to pry in upon us because... You don't realize it, but if you're on the internet, you freely give up loads and loads of your privacy already. It's interesting, whether you're on Facebook, Twitter, social media, the internet, people know who you are. You just may not realize it. You may think that you're alone, but you get online, you're not alone. Reading a quote from uh, his most uh, recently published book by Christian Rudder called Dataclism, says, Facebook might know that you're one of Eminem's many fans. And for you youngsters, that's the rap star and not the candy food. (laughs) Know that you guys may not be up on the latest uh, hip thing. Uh, But may know that you're one of Eminem's many fans and send send you offers uh, accordingly. They also know when you break up with your boyfriend, move to Texas, begin appearing in lots of pictures with your ex, and start dating him again. Google knows when you're looking for a new car and can show you the make and model pre-selected just for your psychographic. At the same time, Google also knows if you're gay or angry or lonely or racist or worried uh, or that your mom has cancer. 
All we have to do is look at the data you enter, and from just very a slight remove, the data reveals how people behave when they think no one is watching. Very true. We are putting in all sorts of data, and I think it's often the case that we think that, well, it's just me and my computer, just me and my Kindle. Never before had publishers have had access to the kind of data that they now have through ebooks. You read an ebook, they know how long it takes you to read a page. They know whether or not you jump ahead. They know whether or not you finish the book because they are collecting that data every time you pick up your Kindle, it uploads that information into their storage facilities, wherever they may be. Now at the same time, if this means that they know who we are when we think nobody is watching, there is an equal amount of data out there that is very troubling. Very troubling, especially, I think, for Christians who think that they can act differently in private than they do in public. At 99 cents per tune, and this book was dated a couple of years ago, so obviously iTunes prices have gone up since then. But at 99 cents per tune, get this, 20 billion, that's B billion, 20 billion digital songs are stolen each year. 20 billion, which means that $19.99 billion are stolen annually from artists, labels, distributors, and record stores. One, just one in 40 digital songs are paid for. Just one in 40. Who are you when you think no one is watching? Estimates place that 50 million movies are downloaded per year as of about 2010. I'm sure it's increased in the last four years, with 49 million of them stolen illegally. Who are you? when you think nobody is watching. Plagiarism. In terms of the internet, one of the single most pervasive problems on the internet is theft of intellectual property. These days people seem to think that, well, it's out on the internet, it's free for me to take and I can just put it together, mash it up and, and make it my own. In a 2005 study it revealed that 70% of college students admitted to engaging in some form of cheating. 77% did not believe that plagiarism was a serious issue, according to this study. Quote, the digital revolution is creating a generation of cut-and-paste burglars who view all content on the Internet as common property. And that comes from uh, Keene's book, oh, The Cult of the Amateur. Who are you when you think no one is watching? Now, perhaps you think, well, that's, that's out there. That's out there. Well, if I can, just for a moment, hit below the belt. Our own IT support staff here, about, maybe about a year or so ago, had to send out an email warning the seminary about using BitTorrents. Now, I'm not quite sure what a BitTorrent is. I even asked Adam what a BitTorrent was, but I have forgotten in the last five days as to what he told me. But I know that a BitTorrent is the kind of piece of software that you use that is typically used to download illegal movies. And he said that we could use, lose our internet connection from our provider for using a BitTorrent. Now maybe, 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 maybe it's because somebody was downloading all of the works of John Owen in every digital format possible. 
There is a BitTorrent for that. So maybe it was just a big theological nerd fest. That's very possible. But on the other hand, it was probably illegal downloading of movies. I can attest to you that sadly, Dr. Kim and I, our dean of students, have had over the years students, I won't say explicitly how many, but we have had to deal with students who days before graduation are sitting in our office in tears because they've been caught plagiarizing something. Days before graduation. But students aren't the only ones. Apparently you can go, and I'm not sure about these websites, I haven't visited them, but they were mentioned in this book, sermoncentral.com, if you need to download a sermon at the last minute, sermonspice.com, my particular favorite, um, desperatepreacher.com, you know, it's like, well, you know, it's Saturday night, and man, I, I got to get something quick. Sadly, I had know of two cases, two cases, where a pastor in a Nay Park church was determined to be guilty of plagiarizing uh, Tim Keller sermons. You know, you'd think, you'd think that if you're going to do some cheating up in the pulpit that you'd be a little bit more obscure in your source. It's like, gee, I, 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 I've heard this sermon before. Where have I heard it? Who are you when you think no one is watching? I think the same goes for internet pornography. Uh, I know that in my own congregation I had a situation that dealt, uh, that had to deal with such an instance where it just wreaked havoc wreaked havoc in a family. And large in part, it utterly destroyed the family. It resulted in divorce and, and many other problems. Beloved in Christ, who are we when we think nobody is watching? Which brings me to my second point, which is who do we esteem more? I think the problem, the big problem that it comes to is when we are thinking uh, that we can do certain things by ourselves if we think that nobody is watching and that we don't have to be as concerned with our faithfulness versus when we do know that people are watching. Bottom line is that we esteem men more than we do Christ. We esteem men more than we do Christ. In a passage in his Christian's Reasonable Service, a uh, well-known uh, Dutch theologian by the name of Wilhelmus Abrakel talked about the doctrine of providence. And he talks about its, its practical and spiritual implications that, yes, we know that uh, God in his providence ordains all things, but not only is he a provident God, but he is also an omnipresent God. And he says that when we uh, sin or when we conduct ourselves differently in private than we do in public, what we are saying is we are failing to acknowledge the provident and omnipresent God that is always with us. And we esteem the presence or absence of men more than we do God's omnipresence. Because what we are doing is we're saying that I'm going to act a certain way, I have to put on my pious coat while I'm out here with these other people, but now, now that I'm not with these people, I can conduct myself differently because nobody's watching. Forgetting all along that we are never apart from God's omnipresence. That we are never beyond his omniscience. That we can somehow hide ourselves away in a dark corner of the house. Or that we can somehow hide our thoughts 
from the all-knowing, all-seeing, ever-present Lord that we serve. If God is always present, if he always knows all, and in the end, as the the Protestant reformers uh, taught us that um, we live quorum Deo, we live continually and constantly in the presence of our holy and righteous God, then in reality, there should be no difference, morally speaking, between our conduct before men and our conduct when we are alone. You see, we go and we start using our computers and we think nobody is watching when we don't realize that somebody's watching. We are showing people who we are. Is there a discernible difference between the way we use digital technology and the way that an unbeliever uses digital technology? Or is it the same types of activities? Are we plagiarizing? Are we downloading illegally? Uh, Are we viewing pornography? Uh, Are we using these things thinking that nobody is watching when all the while somebody is collecting that data? But when you go online, I don't want you to think, well, I better not do this because I don't want Google to know what I'm up to. The thought, the first thought should be is, I want to conduct myself faithfully because that is what is pleasing to Christ, he who sees all and knows all because I continually dwell in his presence because of his omnipresence. Remember when Joseph fleed from Potiphar's wife. What is the first thing that came out of his mouth when Potiphar's wife was trying to seduce him? He did not say, oh man, no way, I'm going to get in trouble. You know, I've I've set things up very well here. I I, I could lose all of my authority and all of the trust that I have with, 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 with my master. He didn't say, well, what happens if I get caught? I'm not, you know, so often our fear is is of getting caught, not necessarily a concern for holiness and faithfulness. No, Joseph said, no, this would be displeasing to the Lord. That was his first thought. Which brings me to my third and final point, which is seeking greater faithfulness, seeking the greatest fidelity possible that we can is that we must ultimately never forget the source of our faithfulness. We must first, beloved, confess our faithlessness, and thereby we can then be open and ready to receive God's faithfulness to his covenant promises in Christ. You know, if your uh, online conduct has been less than holy, well, then you have to confess that to Christ before you can even begin to deal with it. Remember what John tells us in his first epistle. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we must seek our faithful covenant, Lord, first and foremost in Christ through the Spirit, if we are to have any hope of of being faithful ourselves. So we mustn't forget that through our union with Christ, we lay hold of the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. It is through our union with Christ that we lay hold of that fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness. I like to say it, it's simple, and I hope it preaches, but Paul doesn't call it the fruit of the Spirit for nothing. It's the fruit of the Spirit, which means that it comes from him. 
It comes to us from Christ through the Spirit, which means that we will not find greater fidelity in, uh, in whatever, uh, you know, moral bootstrap efforts we try, just try, trying harder. I'm going to be try, try harder to be more faithful. I was once with a young man who said he was having problems with lust. And so, uh, you know, there was, uh, you know, he knew how worldly the music was uh, and, you know, that, uh, that played over the radio. And uh, so I said, well, what, what happened to your radio here? Did, did somebody, uh, somebody break into your car and steal it? He's like, oh, no, I took a hatchet to my radio. It's like, you, you did what? Well, I was struggling with lust, so I took a hatchet and I smashed the radio out of my car dashboard. Wow, okay, um, you know, I, I just, you know, did you think about praying, uh, you know? Uh, disconnecting the fuse, um, you know. In other words, you can try all you want. There is sanctification in the power of the flesh, and then there's sanctification in the power of the spirit. We mustn't try to apply fleshly remedies to the problem of sin. The only remedy is in Christ through the Spirit. Moreover, we have to look regularly, I think, and consistently into the mirror of the law to recognize the depths to which it calls us in terms of our holiness. You know, the Scriptures and God, for that matter, they aren't interested in lip service or external formalism. The idea of looking impressive in public and then when you go, when you think nobody's watching and unfolding a world of iniquity you think, for example, about the Tenth Commandment, it, it, it's against coveting. That's a motive of the heart. The law goes to our motives and to the intentions of our heart, not simply to our actions. And it's only Christ through the Spirit who can change our motives. So quite simply, beloved in Christ, draw nigh to Christ through the means of grace. Draw nigh unto Him through prayer. Pray that you would be mindful that you are always Corum Deo, and that you would live accordingly, and pray that Christ through his spirit would enable you to be faithful, so that you would be the same person in public or in private, and so that your spirit-given faithfulness would shine forth even when no one else but our triune Lord watches over you. Let's bow together in a brief word of prayer. Father God, you are faithful, and uh, you are merciful. And so we cry out to you, our faithful Lord, who we ask that you would please grant to us greater fidelity. Help us to be holy. Enable us to be obedient. But we pray that we would seek this uh, holiness, this piety, and this obedience solely in your Son, uh, in the power of your Holy Spirit. Produce that fruit within us to your glory and to our greater sanctification. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2014, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.